I'm Agnes Kurtzels. I'm Whitney Winter. And my name is Claire Horning. Welcome back to the Acknowledge Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about some more current events. And then at the end, we will dive into some harvest time farm safety tips because the time's coming pretty fast. Um, We're going to go ahead and get started with Whitney, who has a couple of articles to share with us. So go ahead, ma'am. So as we all know, we still are in a pandemic and all that. But there are some farm workers who may be getting some grants along with the $700 million aid plan. This will be more focused with meat packing workers and farm workers who were like severely affected with like the height of the pandemic last year and the year before. So with this plan that they have in place, the grant would be able to give a person $600 as part of the whole $700 million aid program that the USDA or the Department of Agriculture announced just today actually. So the workers who are eligible would be of course meatpacking workers and other like first aid frontline workers who might have used their own personal expenses to pay for like PPE, personal protective equipment, and other stuff that they might have needed during the pandemic that their business or, you know, organization couldn't get or afford because of tight resources and such. And we know that a lot of the plants did get shut down um, because of how widespread the coronavirus was and their very tight quarters that the workers work in. Yeah, a lot of Because I remember Grand Island was a pretty big issue in Nebraska for that. There was a huge packing plant and it just Mm -hmm. spread like wildfire there. uh, The Tyson plant in, where is it? Sioux Falls? Sioux City. One of the two. (laughs) (laughs) One of the Sioux Cities. And they had like a really hard time keeping the production line moving. And then we saw people were like, there's a meat shortage. In reality, it was just a production shortage. Mm -hmm. We had plenty of meat in the lockers, but the lockers couldn't keep up with Mm -hmm. workers that weren't sick yeah but i mean in reality those people were unless they were quarantining for a longer period of time the actual time frame that they would have had covid would be would have been like 10 to 14 days so that's only two weeks really that you're missing of work unless of course it was super serious or again Mm -hmm. you were quarantined for exposure from something else so where did you find that article whitney this is an ap article in the And according to it, at least 22,000 workers have been infected or exposed to the virus. And so that means they had about a 60% fall in production levels and like the major packing plants. So that's what we saw with the quote unquote meat shortage. Mm. Yeah, people were really freaking out about that. They were freaking out was, about a lot And of it stuff. was not that serious. Well, I well again, I think it was because when you like hear the word meat shortage, everyone automatically goes to like, there's not enough animals. But it was, no, there was plenty. Even like our small town lockers around here, they're still booked to like oh, 2022. Yeah. People, I think I mean, ours might be booked till 2023 now. Yeah, because yeah, you usually, crazy. I mean, with that, you usually will order like, you know, half a beef or whatever ahead of time and usually you get 
like one every year or one mm-hmm. every six months or how, whatever schedule you're on, you know what I mean? And then there was all these like random people who don't usually book at those places yeah. starting to. So like when my dad was going to do it, he actually got a call from the guy that was like, hey, are you still interested? Because we're getting all these calls and I just want to make sure that you still want it because otherwise I'm going to make room for someone else. And my mm-hmm. dad's like, oh, no, yeah, we still we still are sticking to our schedule. So. Well, I think a lot of that was also because – um, people were afraid, like, they couldn't get in the grocery store. So they were buying yeah. directly from feedlots or small farmers, hobby farmers, whatever you want to call them, and were like, hey, you got a, you know, half beef that we could buy off of you? I mean, the good part of that is if someone's only buying a quarter or a half beef, you still have the other half that you can sell to someone mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that means there was a backup in the lockers or small lockers, meat lockers, whatever. And, yeah, they're still booked out. Because for most beef, it takes like two years, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have to usually plan to book it at least half a year, I think. I think it's more like a year. Yeah, it's more commonly a year, though. Yeah. And now you're like, well, I think my beef will be ready in two years on this date. (laughs) It's going to be good when it gets here. (laughs) So nowadays, you know, with FFA and 4-H, you'll have like the death date for your livestock. So say you have like a bottle calf um, and you're raising it. You'll have that day for the locker before that calf is even born. Yeah, because you're supposed to calculate rate yeah. of day, daily rate of gain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot more people just take a stab at it though, you know. But off topic a little, I don't drink dairy, but some people that do are having like a little... Like a fit. Are you lactose intolerant, Whitney? Mm-hmm. I am not lactose intolerant, and I love me a tall glass of milk. Oh, me too. Okay, mm-hmm. fun milk story that does not apply to anything, but the first time my dad went to visit his in-laws, which would be my mom's mom and dad and my grandparents, my grandma gave him a really tall glass of milk, and he chugged the whole thing even though he hates milk because he didn't want to be rude. <laughs> Go on with your article, though. <laughs> But nearly 90 organic dairy farms in the Northeast are going to be out of a contract because Dan One, I think that's how you pronounce the company's name, parent company of Horizon Organic, the little red logo with the jumping cow is Horizon Organic, notified these farmers that they will not be extending their contract because they want to focus more on larger companies in the Midwest in the west other than the small local organic ones in the northeast because of transportation costs so i think we're gonna see a lot more of that it's unfortunate but especially like our i know our hometown small grocer like we have to buy with another town to get our groceries for like the store to sell because like the large truckers and stuff don't want to go out of their way for someone that's not selling that much. Okay, yeah. It's unfortunate, and I really don't like it, but I can see where it would become a bigger cost than what they're getting. That's probably not worth it for, the, like, Horizon Organics, who is yeah. becoming a huge name, like, noticeably, I to me, anyway. Especially I see it, in, like, the last five years. Yeah, I've seen it so much more frequently in stores. So is that, like, would that have to do with, like, gas prices being so high would be I the delivery costs think, or is that something i, I don't think just in I the region just oh, just, production costs yeah. in general okay 
Because, like, you're having to pay a worker to go and get it. And then you're having to pay the worker... To process for, the Because beef. for every truck, it's tested for antibiotics. So then you're having to pay someone to do that while also stopping at, you know, 10 barns to make up one barn, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I was just wondering if there yeah. was any correlation there. I mean, I'm of- sure there is. Yeah, according to this AP article, it doesn't say anything about the rising gas prices, but it could be a small percentage of why their transportation costs are higher. Just throwing that out there, I thought maybe. Yeah, but I mean, prices are just going back to where they were before COVID, you know? Like, right now, I think this is pretty much what it was before, or at least pretty close. Yeah, I would say so. On most things, we're back to, like, pre-COVID prices, but there are some things still that... Yeah, I meant gas. I'm sorry. I I just meant gas, but yeah. I think we're about maybe a tad bit higher, but not too much. Yeah. They have to make up for what they lost during COVID, so Mm -hmm. it makes sense for it to be a little bit higher. And I think a lot of people, kind of off-topic are traveling more because they were quarantined or you know oh yeah just at home the the entire time and so they're taking this time now kind of post-covid not really but with less restrictions and everything to travel and to take that time to you know enjoy life in the nature so that would also increase gas prices because more people are on the roads and such yeah so the seasonal pricing you know Supply and demand. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see a spike with harvest. Yeah. Just like every year. Mm -hmm. That all you got over there? That's all I got for today. All right. On on the topic of dairy. So Hurricane Ida has been in the news quite a bit because it's been, you know, all along the East Coast line. Because it's a hurricane and it's big and it's kind of a natural disaster. Yeah. The East Coast and the Gulf. But the largest dairy farm in New Jersey was hit. That operation was owned by the Ekus family, I think. That's how you pronounce it. But it was called Wella, Wella Crest Farms, and it housed over 1,400 Holstein cows. They're hoping to, like, quickly rebuild because it was, like, if you look at the pictures and everything, like, it's all destroyed. Yeah, it was completely just leveled. Yeah. But they say it was confirmed five tornadoes touched down because of Hurricane Ida, like, created, like, an atmospheric mm-hmm. burst. But it was a F4, which, if you don't know, is a very, very strong tornado. I think the top is an F5. Yeah, it goes from one to five, so and, you're correct. Yeah. And it, that's on um, the, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Fajita scale. I think, and it's it measures tornadoes on the amount they destroy and the wind, how much wind it generates. So, like, an F4 would be 166 to 200 miles per hour. And it's then a lot. an F5 would be over 200. Not great. <laughs> but Carly, one of the owners or co-owners in the family that owns mm-hmm. the farm, yep. um, said that right now they're milking with generators. They're able to fix the milking parlor mechanical issues and the bulk tank issues uh, with the help of a specialist. And thankfully, no one was hurt. But to this report, I think, which was on Wednesday or on Thursday, only three cows had died. But there's believed to be at least 300 trapped under all the debris. So that number is expected to, like, rise. And then that's not also counting all the injured cows that Mm -hmm. are going to have to be put down or will eventually pass away from the lung problems. Because mm-hmm. um, I know, like, when the tornado hit, 
the house that we had goats at. It was like this lo- month long process of just like we're gonna try and help them as much as we can, but sometimes there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because all the debris they ingest. Yeah, they basically get pneumonia. Or it just completely ruins their lungs because I can't imagine being a 250 mile an hour wind and not having damage. Mm-hmm. Well, because I mean, if you think about it, there's grass, whatever dust, pollutants like that, but there's also probably Nails. broken glass and shreds of whatever else yeah. that are, yeah, mm-hmm. that you are breathing in. That's, I mean, so tiny you wouldn't think about it, but in that amount with that fast of wind, it's going to do some serious damage to your to your internal organs yeah Mm -hmm. but like right now they're having to make makeshift pens because obviously their pens were destroyed um their farm equipment is you know destroyed stuff fell on top of it they had two silos that were knocked over so a lot of feed was also you know destroyed on top of all their silage and their hay and stuff in the fields that were destroyed so they're trying to you know come back from it because most fields especially like around the center of the tornado are either going to be stripped or it's all going to be knocked down and then that's not counting the debris that's in it so you have to go Mm -hmm. get the debris out first before you take in you know a silage cutter or a combine or even a hay cutter and that's a lot of work takes a because you have to go out there basically walking Mm -hmm. trying to find everything also the insurance process will have to go through because I assume everything's going to be insured yeah, if they're I was that kind say, of I hope a large have, dairy. I hope they have some good insurance. <laughs> Poor guys. Yeah. Because uh, even just let alone crop insurance takes a long time to, to evaluate process. and process it before you can even cut mm-hmm. it down. And most of the time at this point in the year, having harvest right around the corner next month, we'll see that it'll probably be standing towards the end of October into November just waiting for crop insurance to go through and having that claim taken in. Yeah. One of the family of the Wellcrest family farms or whatever you want to call it, they said that they've already been having a hard time because of like COVID. Mm -hmm. Like COVID's really affected a lot of dairies. We've already seen dairies slowly decreasing in numbers because like Whitney mentioned before, you have the retailers, I guess, or not retailers, but the middleman that's buying the milk and processing it aren't wanting to go to these smaller farms anymore because it's a loss of profit for them. And so we've been seeing dairies just dying out, for lack of better words. The smaller ones are dying out. But uh, they say that they plan to rebuild. They don't know the cost yet because wood Mm -hmm. right now is so high, especially still on the coast. Like here we've seen prices kind of drop slowly, but it's $120 for a sheet of plywood, Eric one of the family said. So I can't imagine building, you know, a whole new working barn, a dairy barn, Mm -hmm. and just fixing everything. Can't imagine. Wood on the coast is at an astronomical price. I was saying they're looking at their community a lot to help them rebuild because they've, um, you know, they're kind of struggling because they need food now for all of the winter into mm-hmm. spring. But I mean, it's no different than when a tornado comes through here. Everyone's looking to the community oh, yeah. to help out. So, I mean, that's pretty. Yeah. That's a pretty typical practice, so I'm not super surprised. Yeah. Um, and good that they and, expect the community to help out because they should help out because I'm sure they provide a lot to their community. Well, I, mm-hmm. I mean, expect maybe be the wrong word to use there. But oh, like, sorry, but... A lot of their help is going to be coming from the community Mm -hmm. because the community has looked, you know, 
this farm has been here since, or been there since. Oh, it's, they've been milking cows since 1943. So obviously they've so, been a huge factor in this community. Yeah. And then, you know, the family's been obviously in the community mm-hmm. for that long as well. So everybody probably knows and is like already there helping clean up, you know? Mm-hmm. But another thing from... Hurricane Ida was that it has made the largest U.S. producer of glyphosate offline. Bayer Crop Science is in Luling, Louisiana, which was hit by Hurricane Ida, so they've kind of been offline. Glyphosate, I believe, is in Roundup. That might be a more common name for our listeners to, like, recognize. But as preparation for Hurricane Ida, they already had closed down, like, their office and everything and securely locked everything down. Because, again, this is Louisiana. They experience hurricanes They know quite procedures frequently. to do it, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, they have it locked down and everything. So we'll probably experience a bit of a shortage in the spring. We already had a shortage of both glyphosate and glufosinate this past spring, which caused prices to climb 50% in some places, which is already a pretty crazy price. Yeah, it's un- this article says it's unclear how long supplies will last or what they're looking like. This article is from agwim- agweb.com. And for the listeners that don't know what Roundup or glyphosate is, um, glyphosate is an herbicide. So it's applied to leaves of the plant to kill both like broadleaf plants and grasses that you don't want in your crop fields. Yeah. And it's it's a pretty dangerous chemical to um, work with, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Hurricane Ida made it further inland than they were expecting. So they're they're still waiting for like the aftermath to like calculate shipping delays and costs and stuff like that because a lot of the roads are you know Flooded. destroyed. So I know there's another article on here that talks about all the roads are going to cause a serious issue for the harvesting people because you're not going to be able to get your crops to market in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. So yeah. We're going to have to keep an eye out on that, glyphosate prices, and even Bayer in general, because I think that's one of their bigger headquarters. This other article about Hurricane Ida says that the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation has a disaster relief fund, and it's going to be the second time in many years for them to cover as much as they're going to have to, because they obviously give aid to a lot of, like, farmers who lose crops, animals, and then I think even machinery. Okay. But because it went farther inland than they were expecting... There's more damages to cover. Mm -hmm. I gotcha, I gotcha. So a lot of cattle were displaced along with fences and flooding. A lot of the pine trees and hardwood that were ready for harvest and the sugar cane were flat. Mm -hmm. So that affected about 25% of crops that's been reported so far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we can probably also expect sugar prices to maybe go up a little bit. Probably not a lot just because... That's it's grown it's, other words. It's yeah, grown other places, so prices will probably even out. Mm-hmm. But well, it's done so much damage. Don't hurricanes like gain more momentum over warm water? And since it's like the end of summer, obviously mm-hmm. it's hotter out, so the water's warmer, etc., etc. Yeah. So I would say that's probably a good reason for why it was so powerful and damaging this time is just because yeah. of. Well, what it, season it is and the temperatures and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, it was able to pick up speed to like get farther inland because yeah. usually when it hits land, it slows down, but mm-hmm. it sounds like it didn't slow down nearly as much as they thought it would. 
But overall, the estimated damage cost is $18 billion. Oh, my Lord. My and that, that includes other fields than agriculture, but that's still crazy. A lot. That's all I have on Hurricane Ida, I guess. But another article, it's from Farm Progress Magazine, but this one was published in June, which is quite a while ago, but I felt it was still relevant. relevant. So this article is another legal attack on large-scale livestock farms. Um, So this article goes and talks about how the Food and Water Watch filed a legal petition in May on May 20th against the EPA in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals over their decision not to update waterways guidelines involving CAFOs or um, concentrated animal feeding operations, mm-hmm. which are those large feeding operations that we think about when we say feedlot and, you know, pig confinement and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But these limitations are required basically to prevent water waste or water pollution. pollution. Yeah, thank you. The EPA is, like, in charge of making sure they don't pollute the water. There's a group, they were called the Food and Water Watch, which is a politically active environmentalist group. Mm-hmm. But they are the ones mostly behind this with the waters of the United States which was a bill, I believe, passed by the former President Trump. Okay. But the EPA requires no discharge permits at one time, and another circuit court stated that if you do not have a discharge, you have no need for a permit, or you don't need a permit. So the water watchers... (laughs) Wow. The Food and Water Watch uh, quoted a member in Wisconsin saying the EPA CAFO standards just don't do enough to protect our water's quality and our community is suffering for it. Like in Pierce County around here, we saw like where people weren't following the guidelines. Mm-hmm. Now we have ni- high nitrates in the water and it creates blue algae mm-hmm. and it it's just not a good situation. Because, it causes problems. Yeah, because generally it's poisonous to humans basically. Mm-hmm. So it's just not great to have in your waters. Well, and then the other thing is, like, obviously not all water sources go here, but the aquifer, if runoff can go through and penetrate down to, like, chemicals and stuff that are getting dumped, can end up in there, which is our big drinking water and, like, irrigation source. So, obviously, that's going to do some damage to either people who are drinking it or the whatever plants, animals, whatever else is getting water from that source if it's polluted it's going to cause health issues and developmental issues in some cases. In, in 2020, in January, the EPA issued the Federal Register Influent Program <laughs> Guidelines Program Plan 14. Wow. What That's a, a mouthful. <laughs> what a name. Um, but this issued under the Trump administration told the world that the EPA was going to review regarding effluent guidelines and pre-treatment standards. So, the EPA would go and basically make sure that people knew what these programs were and how to follow them. So, it would be kind of like outreach, educating people on how the guidelines work and how they need to fulfill the guidelines. Yeah. And this group of people feel like they're not doing the job well enough and people aren't following it very well, Mm -hmm. which I get, especially like around... You know, middle nowhere where no one like comes and there's no one there's no daily. one to enforce it is yeah. basically the issue. So unless someone calls in and it's like, hey, these guys are, you know, putting piling manure where they're not supposed to. 
who's going to know about it? No one's going to know unless they go out there and do a blind test on the water mm-hmm. or even on the soil. Mm-hmm. Well, even with that, most people don't even know the guidelines themselves like you were talking about. They're not educated enough to know, oh, the manure is not supposed to be this close to this water source or right. whatever. So they wouldn't be able to report it. It might not even be that they're not educated enough, but it might be that there's a there's no communication from those agencies to specific groups that there needs to be. So right. there's kind of a breakdown or mm-hmm. like a, a lack of there. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily education-based. I know, I know what mm-hmm. you meant by that, but it's not necessarily education-based. It's more just you just don't like it's ignorance. You don't know because no one's told you. Okay. Right. But to, you know, register your farm as a CFO. Yes. Which you have to if you own so many animals per Mm -hmm. area you should know them because it's all in what is qualified to make you a cfo yes so it could be the owner's neglect because their lawyer didn't tell them like hey these are the rules you have to follow them otherwise your permit gets Mm -hmm. you know you're no longer working Mm -hmm. um but i feel like some of the stuff is just like common knowledge and people just choose to ignore it because they can that's fair, too. I mean, you make a good point. <laughs> um, exp- and again, that could just be the owner isn't in everyday operation. So their workers are just like going about their business, not knowing these rules. Yes. Which is fair. I've like, unless I took that class at Northeast, I wouldn't even know that there was like a rule that you could only apply fertilizer during certain times and you could only stockpile manure in certain spots and everything. Otherwise, I would have no clue. I would be like, well, that's kind of like doesn't make sense as to why someone's, you know, building their farm on the bottom of a hill. You know, mm-hmm. it wouldn't make sense to me. But I feel like if you're going to like make a CAFO or a concentrated animal feeding operation, I, I feel like you should know the rules. Obviously, they try and make sure that you do. But, mm-hmm. you know. But sometimes it just doesn't, like you said, sometimes it just doesn't go through all the tiers that it that needs it needs to. to yeah or sometimes it maybe it's like you sit down and you can't remember everything specifically how it might be worded in a document so you mm-hmm. say it and it's a little vague or unclear and then follow-up questions are asked about it which can create you know divides in mm-hmm. understanding which is going to be a problem yeah well and i feel and i don't know what testing people have to go through to get like a pesticide herbicide spreader license and everything because most cases you do but I would assume there was at least a little bit in there about it. Uh, you would besides think, just like you would think one of everything. the PowerPoint slides would have something about it. <laughs> yeah, besides like safety hazards, you know. Just sprinkle it in there yeah. somewhere. It's important. Like maybe slide two, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you know minute five oh somewhere gosh. in the somewhere in the video. Right when you're about to fall asleep, right before then to catch your attention. <laughs> maybe have a horn blaring before it plays. <laughs> But yeah. Okay. Was that your last article? Yes, it was. Okay. It's your turn, Claire. We were talking about dairy earlier. I'm talking about beef cows. So, um, this is also on AP News. The Omaha Meat Packing, Greater Omaha Packings, had a recall on Thursday for their beef products with the EST960A. USD, USDA mark of inspection um, for E. coli, which is not good. E. coli will make you sick. Mm-hmm. Ask my brother. He knows. 
<laughs> so the packages were distributed to Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, and Nebraska. So obviously pretty big region affected mm-hmm. by this. And, you know, E. coli is a bacteria. It's found in fecal matter. So that's obviously a kind of a cleanliness hygiene issue. And again, E. coli is going to give you some serious stomach problems. I think fever, really bad. Just upset stomach, headaches, Yeah, I'm and sure. So the article says it's particularly particularly dangerous to infants, young children, and elderly, and obviously immunocompromised Mm -hmm. people. So just throwing that out there, because we were talking about, obviously, meat packing plants earlier and how COVID affected them, but there's other things that can go wrong in those places too. So it's always important to look out if you are buying things from places just to make sure there's not a recall on it. Like I know some restaurants will have like recalls on stuff. Well, we always, like, there's always a recall somewhere, right? Like, lettuce get or iceberg lettuce? Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Lettuce always gets recalled, I feel like. Wasn't there, there like, a specific restaurant chain that had a bunch of... It happens pretty frequently, though, is the point we're trying to make. Yeah, (laughs) um... It's not great, but they, like, obviously try and put the recall out there as fast Mm -hmm. as possible because just Mm -hmm. sick people is not a good thing to have. And whenever there is a recall, even if you don't recall (laughs) buying it, just make sure you're checking all your things before you cook them. Do you like my little joke Mm -hmm. there, Whitney? (laughs) Well, making sure to cook it to the proper temperature will help with that. Yes. Um, And we talked about that last episode. Yeah. Our little magnet idea. Get yourself a magnet. Get yourself a paper article say what specific products were recalled um the beef products intended to be used in packages of ground beef they were produced july 13th well it's not mine we package our own but yeah i know it is the general public's (laughs) ground beef (laughs) buying a frozen pizza (laughs) check it out no yeah i feel i feel a lot of that happens with cross-contamination too of Mm -hmm. like going like I don't know. A lot of people use the example of like using chicken and then going to like a red meat mm-hmm. or even like cutting vegetables and then meat or meat and then vegetables. That's a cross contamination. You should be washing your uh, cutting board and knife in between and your hands mm-hmm. and surface and everything. And there are certain but types of cutting boards you need to use for your meat products. So meat needs to be like plastic or silicone, something like that. And then wood can be used for your um, vegetables. vegetables and other produce because of the bacteria that can get into the wood if you use it with um, the porosity of the porosity. Porosity. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right word. It just sounded better than porosity. <laughs> I don't know how you said that. Okay. I was just going to sprinkle in. I watch a lot of Gordon Ramsay. And so when he does like the. When he does like the refrigeration inspections, especially on like Kitchen Nightmares, mm-hmm. great show. <laughs> so he'll like go through the f- refrigerator and they'll have like raw meat stored literally on top of their cooked meat. Mm. And he's oh. just like, shut it down right now. You just contaminated everyone in this restaurant. No wonder I was sick this afternoon after I ate it. Or like even like if they store chicken or like defrost chicken wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to give somebody salmonella, guys. Yeah. Come on now. Mm-hmm. We should know this. Especially Restaurant yeah. 101. Ugh. Food prep 101. Yeah, we talked like with food safety last uh last week. People just ignore rules at home because they can get away with it. And a lot of times it is by chance that you get sick. I mean, especially if you're cooking food or overcooking food, you're killing the bacteria. But then it's also it's like there's that one time 
that one time and it that's all it takes yeah. <laughs> okay now we're gonna we're gonna shift gears a little bit we're gonna talk about safety during harvest season obviously it's gonna be here before we know it so it's already started it's already started for some people so obviously we want to be prepared whether we are actively doing farm work or we're just living in the place where many farmers frequent we should be safe either way for everyone's everyone's benefit um so the rural mutual insurance company has a list of tips 10 harvest safety tips to avoid accidents on the farm is what it is called number one is come up with a family checklist. So it's saying that you should have a list of equipment that needs maintenance and then assign people to do the maintenance and then follow up with that and make mm -hmm. sure it's done so that all your equipment is working to the best of its ability so you don't have any problems as far as that goes. And I feel like a lot of people skip that. They're like, oh, it's fine. We cleaned it out last year. And it's like, no, you need to do that every year Yeah. before you start harvest because fires. <laughs> well, that, but also that's really big equipment. It's expensive. It's expensive, but it's also really big. It can do a lot of damage if it's not functioning properly. Oh, yeah. So you always got to... Well, even you'll, like, if you're combining, you could u lose the yield because you're dropping half your corn because mm -hmm. you didn't clean out the special parts that You're, I don't so know off the top of my head. you may have saved yeah. money by not fixing it, but you lost money by not fixing yeah. it. You so it evened out in the end. You probably lost even more. Yeah, no, or even... Like, if you're not checking, making sure the teeth are sharp on it or anything, you're losing production because mm -hmm. you're having to go slower, you know? So, just making sure your equipment is up to date, mm -hmm. not necessarily up to date, I guess, but just clean, upkept. maintenance, yeah, yeah, upkept. Because, again, it's kept expensive up. equipment. Why would you not want it yeah. to be running to the best of its ability, yeah. especially if you paid for it? Exactly, exactly. Okay, number two is read up and refresh on manuals. So, again, with machinery, know how to run it properly. <laughs> yeah, and it never hurts because, like, combines, we're using it, what, two months out of the year, three months out of the mm -hmm. year, depending how big of a farmer you are. You can't tell me you remember everything. Yeah, especially with, I know, a lot of the new equipment has a lot of, like, computerized functions now yeah. and it's all on that computer system. So, you have to know, like, what buttons to press, what does what, what's... yeah all happening there and that gets pretty specific so it's always good to do a refresher on that again so you can get the best yield possible which is the ultimate goal and you're not wasting time being like wrong button you know yeah exactly and just like guessing while on the go which not I feel a good like idea <laughs> i it can't be that hard right so it's not going to take you that long to just get a refresher yeah especially if you've already done it before then mm -hmm. you have just muscle memory but mm -hmm. It's still important to understand your equipment. Yep. Number three is have an emergency plan. Um, so obviously, if something were to happen, you should have a response plan in place. So who are we going to call? Who's going to show up? Who's where at what times? What the procedure is going to be so everyone can be on the same page and no one's freaking out and there's a communication breakdown yeah. there needs to be some type of plan in place and that's really important i i don't think people realize how important because if something were to happen and someone were to get injured so bad that it could be fatal mm -hmm. and you're in the middle of nowhere you need to take into account how fast is an ambulance going to get to you or how fast can you get to a hospital or er, ER or whatever mm -hmm. 
do you have signal to call anybody or text anybody? So maybe you need to have a CB or you need to have a walkie-talkie or something that is satellite phone or whatever that's able to get you in contact with somebody. Yeah. Even having, if you're going out by yourself, making sure that someone knows what time you should be back or what time you should be done. Or just having check-in times like I'll... Yeah. walk you in once every hour just to yeah tell you that i'm still alive you know what i mean yeah make sure that everybody on your team or whoever's with you knows what's going on and knows what to do in an emergency because mm-hmm. i mean even that applies to a lot of different things so like fires at your house you and your family should have a plan in place of what you're gonna do what the exits are what you're gonna take you know what i mean yeah like it's simple as that it should be applied to more than just Harvest safety as well. Yeah. Well, and it, like with combines, you know, they get, they catch on fire every once in a while from stuff being blocked up. Mm-hmm. And if you're an hour away from town or even more usually, you need to think about um, how, how are we going to get everybody safe and away from this combine and the field? Because usually when you're combining, it's pretty dry. So you need to be conscious of like, how are we going to let everybody know that, hey, there's an emergency right here, right now? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just being aware of mm-hmm. con- emergency contacts and everything like that. Yep. Number four is maintain the yard. So, like we were talking about earlier, when there's debris, tree limbs down, whatever, make sure you remove low-hanging tree limbs. Talk to electrical companies if there's flooding or something because you don't want to have those types of issues. And obviously, you need to take care of this before you go out with equipment and harvest because obviously, when the corn is tall, the soybeans are big. If there's like little things down in there, you're not going to catch it. And sometimes that's not a big deal. But sometimes if it's a pretty big thing that you just can't see, that's going to do a lot of damage to your equipment. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you don't want to damage equipment during that time because that might be your only piece of equipment to harvest with. So you might be in big trouble if you do severe damage to something like that yeah well and especially if you're you know driving a huge combine and you hit um a low-hanging wire for power or your electric wire or whatever you not only now probably shut power down at your house or wherever that wire is going (laughs) but your combine is now electrified so you have to be aware of what to do in those situations also yeah so it's probably just safer to know your surroundings before you end up in that situation go go out take some notes do a real quick run to make sure there's nothing crazy going on you're you're golden to yeah. go make sure you know the bridge is still there it wasn't you know floated away from the flood or tornado whatever number five is train anyone who is about to use equipment um so this article is funny it says it's easy to invite your neighbor to hop on a tractor and help out with the farm chores but you obviously Shouldn't let just anyone hop on and take over equipment. Right. Because who knows what their training has been if it's just average <laughs> Joe off the street. He could tell you that he's been farming for 10 years. But if you don't know the guy, it's like, yeah, have you? And then if also if they're using um, a different, even if it, they're even different, using a different r- brand, brand, yeah, that they would, there would be the little nuances that'll be different that can make a huge difference to running the equipment. Yeah. So again, important to train people make sure people know how to use equipment and are using it properly even if someone's sitting in the buddy seat because you're like yeah you can come join me so i have a talking person so i'm not just sitting in a tractor cab all day 
making sure that they know not to touch things or to, you know, just be a curious person they are and be like, okay, what we're not going to do is hit this red button, you know, and just like laying down ground rules, making sure that they are also aware of how to be safe in equipment. Yes. Yep. Um, Number six is know where young children are. Keep your kids off the equipment, away from around the equipment, away from the places trucks are driving through. Yeah. Because they're little. You can't always see them. They move pretty fast. I would also say for like if you have dogs or other kind of bigger pets, make sure that they're, you know, not necessarily locked up, but maybe fenced or in kennels or in a garage, someplace where they're not going to be in the way and potentially get hurt or killed. Making sure to train them to know not to go near vehicles or moving items of any kind is really helpful, especially in, you know, situations where you're combining and you're usually focused on something else and you're tired, so you're not paying attention as much. But especially with little kids, having them wear a vest, Mm -hmm. bright colors like neon orange, pink, red, something that makes them stand out. That will catch your eye. Yeah. And even like a hat or something so that you can see their head and Mm -hmm. like be aware of where they are at all times helps. This suggests that you designate a safe play area so you can say like, you need to stay in the backyard. Yeah. And you need to be wearing this. So that when Papa comes through with the tractor, you need to know that you cannot go near it. Right. This mostly pertains to like, you know, kids that come out to the farm. If you're in town, obviously, Mm -hmm. or even along the highway where um, tractors are going to and from fields. You're probably not going to be just walking along there. So you're probably okay. But it's still like having a responsibility to know that like this is your safe area. Do not go over here. Yes, exactly. Um. Especially, like, along highways and stuff, because that, in general, is not a good place to be. Mm-hmm. But if your house backs is, you know, your backyard is right up next to a soybean field or a cornfield, especially a cornfield, because corn is, you know, seven foot tall. Yes. You're not seeing a little kid in there. No. Um, but just making them aware, like, hey, we're not going to play in this zone anymore. Number seven is if you feel fatigue, stop. Obviously, this goes into our just keeping yourself healthy and in top condition. Um, So if you're tired, um, if you don't feel good, you're not going to be 100% focused on the task at hand. You're going to be focused on how you're feeling. And that creates a dangerous situation for you and for others because you're not 100%. You're not paying attention as much as you should be. So you just need to say, I need to stop at this time. I need to sleep for this long. I need to make sure I've eaten. I need to make sure I'm hydrated. Yeah, just like having snacks with you, making sure you're, um, like you said, staying hydrated. And I know people like that used to go to my high school and they would like get up at 5 a.m. to go help harvest. And then they would go to school all day, do their extracurricular activities, and then go home right away and continue harvest until midnight or one in the morning or something and Mm -hmm. it's like they were exhausted by the end of the week and they still weren't done harvesting and it's like at that point you need to like take yourself and be like i need to rest i need to recoup because i'm not going to be conscious of my decision making exactly because when you're tired you're like i'm just gonna skip this step Mm because it's not important but it is important yes because it's a safety issue or anything like that You need to be fully aware of what you're doing because Mm -hmm. even when I'm wide awake doing something, I'll be like, that wasn't the safest thing to do. 
you know so yeah. like when when you're tired on top of you're that you're gonna I, take yeah. more shortcuts that you maybe in a better state of mind would not would not take yeah if you're you know you're tired you're not asking yourself the questions of like is this the proper way to do it or is there a better safer way of doing something mm-hmm you're going to start taking shortcuts. Number eight is meet new lighting and marking requirements. Um, so in November 5th of 2015, lighting and marking requirements changed. So harvesting equipment needs to meet that for safety reasons. There's a there's a link to read more about it on this page. Um, so you can probably look it up and find it pretty easily, I would imagine. Number nine, practice grain bin safety um, so obviously grain bins are pretty dangerous, especially mm-hmm. when they're full. So again, make sure you know how to do that safely and correctly and then have an emergency plan, a communication plan in place. The buddy system is probably not a bad idea. Yeah. But obviously sometimes well, you can't always have two people. Especially with grain bins, it's really important to be wearing a harness, um, being wired correctly so yes. that... If for whatever reason you were to start sinking, you know what to do and you know how fast to do it. Mm -hmm. Because if you've ever seen those videos of like in controlled situations where someone is like being sucked down in a corn silo or, you know, beans or whatever, it's terrifying because they go down quick and it doesn't take much because I feel like a lot of people think like the auger has to be on. But it could literally be the wind moving that just enough that it creates a vibration and you get sucked down so easily. So it's important to, you know, use corn boards or silo boards or whatever, and then also using a harness and just being safe and smart. And lastly, number 10 is beware of machinery entanglements. It says machinery entanglements are the leading cause of injury and death on the farm. Do everything you can to prevent it, including guarding or shielding all moving parts on machinery and keeping bystanders and children away. So again, this goes back to um, equipment maintenance and the earlier child safety rule. Just make sure no one's around it. Machinery's big. It's dangerous. You don't want to work on it while it's on. Obviously, that's not a good thing to do. Don't do it. So, I mean, there's PTOs and cutters and augers and everything like that. It's such a dangerous place to be wearing, you know, baggy clothing. Mm, Um, Yeah. Even if your clothing has rips or something in it, probably not a good idea to be wearing it around that equipment. I know several people. Because it can get caught. Yeah, I know several people in our community that are, you know, missing an arm or have permanent damage done to them because they got caught in a PTO, which is a rotating part for people that don't know. It's just a straight rotating part. And you would think that you wouldn't be able to get caught on it because most of them have guards and they should have guards. And if yours doesn't, you should buy a guard. But it's so easy for a rotating point to wrap on to itself. Mm-hmm. Like if you have even a t-shirt or a long sleeve shirt even that gets long caught, hair. It's so easy to get wrapped into something like that and it breaks bones or an auger will literally cut your limb off, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's important to like be aware of PPE and everything like that also. Yep. So that was my last for farm safety tips. And now we're going to talk about driving safety tips. So highway season safe driving tips, which Agnes mentioned a little bit earlier that the highways are kind of dangerous during harvest time. Um, so this is from an article from DMV Assistant. There's a quite a few tips listed here. Um, number one, be extra patient and always maintain a safe following distance. Farm equipment can unexpectedly turn 
onto a public road from a driveway or field. So sometimes these places will be marked by like a sign that says like, look out for turning trucks or stuff like that. But I mean, still be aware of your surroundings. Be watching for blinkers. Be watching for equipment parked on the side of the road because they might be looking for a spot to turn. Well, and most equipment doesn't have blinkers or anything. So you need to be aware that when they're slowing down, they're slowing down. Mm -hmm. They're only moving, you know, 15 miles an hour. If they have an orange triangle in the back of their vehicle. That means means slow slow moving moving vehicle. (laughs) It means slow moving. They're not moving fast, which means you need to slow down pretty quickly because you will probably die if you hit a tractor going 60 miles an hour. Just being smart. Yeah. And like you said, when there's no blinker, if you can see the driver, the driver will probably try to signal you in some way that they're turning. They'll use their arm because there's like the arm signal things that you're supposed to do when you're like riding a bike and stuff. They will maybe do that or like wave you on or something, which is... Most of the newer equipment does have some type of blinker situation, but it's still like being aware that hey, I need to pay attention to the lights. I need to pay attention to when they're slowing down and everything. And you don't want to tailgate that equipment 50 to 100 feet back. Yeah, because people are going to try and pass them or you to get in front of you to try and pass them. And just passing equipment is not good because you're not paying attention. This leads me to the second one (laughs) that says, motorists should not attempt to pass farm machinery unless it's both safe and legal to do so. So even if... It's killing you that the tractor in front of you is going 20 miles an hour. Wait till you're in a passing zone because probably it's a pretty big piece of equipment. Probably you can't see around it. Well, and especially if you're going to try and pass them. And let's say someone's trying to, you know, is coming the other direction Mm -hmm. and you try and cut them off. They're, I'm sorry, they, they aren't moving. They probably don't even see you. And then when you try and cut them off, all you're doing is creating a huge accident. Between you, the tractor, and that person coming toward you. even though it's moving 20 miles an hour, it's going to take a while for that baby to stop. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of weight and inertia behind that piece of equipment so he could slam on the brakes and not stop. Yeah. Well, and most of them aren't even going 20. 20 is like the top that they can go. (laughs) So they're like going, you know, 15 or whatever. And I get, I've followed a tractor, trust me. And you get so frustrated. But at the same time, is it worth trying to pass someone in a no passing zone? The obvious answer is no. Because again, that creates accidents, fatalities and everything of the sort. And I feel like even if you're like running late for like work or something, I feel like a lot of people, especially around here, will understand that you're caught behind equipment or something yeah like that's not an unusual thing to happen around these parts so like most people that are driving these equipments on highways because we mostly been saying highways they will tell you when it's okay to pass Mm -hmm. because they want you to get out from behind them because most people in equipment like me specifically i don't feel comfortable with someone behind me because i can't see you i can't even hear you because the tractor is so loud. loud so usually they'll pull far enough over and stop and let you pass. Maybe they won't stop. Maybe they'll just go way over and let you pass when it's okay to pass. Because, again, they're not trying to inconvenience you. I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, this is such a pain. Their intention is not to inconvenience you. They're just trying to do their job. Yeah. So have a little patience. Have a little respect. Have a little courtesy for the situation because they're working hard to provide for you, whether you realize it or not, probably in some capacity. So, I mean, just... Have a little, have a little grace about you. Yeah. 
Um, another one, it says avoid distractions while driving, um, texting, talking on your cell phone, etc. Obviously, this is a rule for round the year and driving in general. Please don't text and drive. I mean, being on a phone call and driving, a lot of cars have like phone enable things now. That's a little bit safer because it'll like ring to your yeah. car or whatever. But that's still a distraction. Well, even fiddling with your radio. You're yeah. not paying attention, and it only takes you five seconds to, I don't know. Close what, that gap. Yeah, close that gap. And again, they're only moving, you know, 20 miles an hour. I think the fastest is like 30 for slow-moving vehicles. But mm-hmm. still, doesn't matter. They're going so slow that you going triple, double their speed, you're going to hit them pretty fast. And it's going to be faster than you even think. But yeah, a, another thing like on roads or whatever is being sure of blind corners which if you don't know a lot of farmers especially in uh, rural areas like to farm the ditch when i say farm the ditch i mean they will literally go into the ditch to farm and it's super annoying to me it's super frustrating because the ditch is there for a reason but it creates these blind corners that you can't see around the corner and it creates such a big hazard that um, you should be stopping at every intersection to make sure that no one else is coming. Yeah. Especially you when hit. you're not even on a highway, but if you're like coming off a gravel road or something and you're in, you're me in my little Ford Focus yeah. and there's corn all the way up to the corner. So you kind of got to like inch creep forward. out a little bit and like look back and forth, look back and forth, look back and forth, and then inch out a little more, look back and forth, look back and forth, and then go. Yeah. Along the highways, usually it's a bit better because the state um, regulates those a lot And you have like the shoulder and everything on a highway too. That makes a little bit of difference. It's a a lot more wiggle room. Even just like being aware that right now is harvest season. So there might be a semi coming by that's full of grain or a combine on a semi trailer that's pulling the head or whatever. It's just important to realize that like they're out there right now, so maybe just be a little bit more cautious of when you're driving. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a combine, you know, the most frequent color that comes to mind is green. Well, they're going to blend in with the ditch or the corn yeah. that's in the field. So it's just important to like be recognize, on the lookout, yeah. Yeah, to recognize those signs and those bright colors mm-hmm. that are often on equipment. Okay, and my last one on this section of the list is be prepared to meet an oncoming oversized agricultural vehicle so sometimes the equipment will be more than one lane so they'll be scooched over as far as they possibly can usually when they see you coming but you also have to realize that you can't be hugging the yellow like the center line you need to also give them a pretty good berth so they know that you're paying attention, that you're being safe, and you're not going to, like, sideswipe them because yeah. that would not end well for anybody. Uh, especially if you're in a smaller vehicle and you're not in a truck that can, you know, has a little bit more structure to it. Your car is going to give before that combine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to be worse. <laughs> yeah. you're Keep your distance. Stay in your lane. Maybe stay towards the white line more than the yellow line if you see big equipment coming at you just to be safe. I'm not saying drive on the shoulder. Yeah. Stay in the lane, obviously, still, but just be aware of how much room you have, how much room you're giving. Well, like I mentioned before, in most cases, they'll move over far enough so that you have a full lane. Exactly. But they'll only do that if it's in a passing zone so that they can see what's coming so that they can move over Mm -hmm. and let you know that it's okay to pass. And then if there's no signs on the side of the road that they could hit yeah, um, or bridges or anything like that, 
they're pretty good about giving you cues that it's okay to pass. And this is the before passing farm machinery section. Um, so this one says, be sure to check that the farmer is not turning left or right. Look for left-hand signals or turn lights. Um, if they pull towards the right side of the road and slow down, they're probably getting ready to make a wide left turn, which you have to do because otherwise you mo- won't make the corner. Yeah. And that would not be good. Um, the next one says, likewise, sometimes they may have to move to the left to make a wide right turn. Mm-hmm. Same, same concept there. Make sure the road is wide enough to pass the machinery safely, which is what we were just talking about. And then look for roadside obstacles like bridges, road signs, mailboxes. Again, we were just talking about that. And then make sure there's an adequate distance for you to pass. So if there's a car coming and you looks like you can pass, but it looks a little sketchy, just wait. Yeah. Don't risk it. Um, oftentimes, especially with the larger equipment, there will be a pilot car, right? A pilot yeah. car will just be in front of the combine, letting people know in front or coming from the other direction that, hey, there's some big equipment behind me taking up a lane and a half. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, they're probably radioing back to the com- combine or whoever that like, hey, there's a car coming, move over. Yeah. But it's still like making sure that there's enough room between like for you to pass both the equipment and the pilot yes, car. yeah. You can get between the pilot car and the equipment sometimes. I would not recommend that. Yeah, the pilot car is probably also only going yeah. 30. So What does it say? It says like wide wide vehicle or something on the back wide, sign. Most will say wide load. Yes, like if that's it's, what if I was it's thinking a of. Semi, I could not think of the word load. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a semi, usually those are going pretty fast. Like yeah. they, they can go 65. Mm-hmm. But usually they'll have like wide load on it. Some combines will... It depends on the farmer, especially how long they're traveling on highway, mm-hmm. because usually that's not recommended, but sometimes that's the only access you have to a field. Yeah. But yeah, just like being able to pass the pilot car and equipment will help you not get as frustrated because mm-hmm. that pilot car is going to be going the same speed as the combine. So like she said, making sure that you have adequate room and time to get where you passing zone okay this last section of road safety tips is specifically for farmers so this is for the people driving the equipment um says avoid movement of farm equipment at sunrise and sunset when visibility is more limited again you want people to be able to see you coming ensure slow moving machinery emblems are mounted on the rear to alert motorists so those orange and red triangle signs make sure people can see them make sure you have one well make sure that they're reflective yeah because some especially older equipment it's no longer reflective it no longer has the reflective tape on it or anything so it's important to replace those mm-hmm. and i mean you can buy those at like farm stores so like oh, yeah. Baumgars, orsland qc supply those places will you can, more than likely have those even, things even if your equipment doesn't have lights on it you can buy flashing lights yeah especially in like farm stores okay and then like agnes just said make sure all your lighting is working correctly and highly visible if you don't feel like it's visible add to it um use turn signals to alert traffic to sudden moves again do your best um and then when three or more vehicles cannot pass on the left and are blocked pull off the road to let the vehicles safely pass so this would mean like if there's a side road, something you can pull off safely. Obviously, pull towards the shoulder if you can, um, but just make sure there's not a whole funeral procession behind you <laughs> uh, going 
because that because that's not good that creates a safety issue as well so yeah so that was the end of my farm safety tips but i think we're gonna wrap up the podcast so thank you for listening we really appreciate it and make sure to follow us on instagram Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzels, Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as a part of Radio Production Workshop at Wayne State College. Tune in on Thursdays at 5 p.m. for more Ag Knowledge and listen to KWC 91.9 The Cat on the TuneIn app. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Surf Day by Marcos H. Bolanos, found on freemusicarchives.org. The song was edited for the use of this podcast.